This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 452. I wholeheartedly believe I can take anybody if they have the desire. I can take anybody and train them to be a good salesperson because what we've done is we've basically engineered sales. And sales, for most of my career, most of my life, has been an art form, right? That guy just has it. It's charisma. But now that we've learned, there's actually a science behind it. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. David Jay-Z Green. What's up, man? How you doing? Is this because I called you a rapper when we were uh, when we were talking there? Yeah, you called me a rapper earlier, so I need to make you... I, I said Brandon should wrap it up. But instead of W-R-A-P, you wrote R-A-P, and I thought, I could rap, I could wrap it up. He actually did half the song of... Uh, well, first you did Will Smith, right? First I did Will Smith, then I did... Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and then you did uh, Eminem. Yes, and then I did Jay-Z, but I don't think you saw that one. Yeah, I gave up on... Anyway, what's up, man? You were in Mexico. That's cool. I was in Mexico, and we recorded a couple podcasts there, and I came back so I could make sure we did it with better internet, and I thought today's show went awesome. Today's guest is a stud. Um, I don't think we brought it up, but he was actually born in a refugee camp. And he came in and he's just like exploding all over the real estate game, doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah, he's killing it. Like he's got a brokerage, title company, wholesaling. But what Steve is known for is being a phenomenal sales trainer. And when I say sales trainer, what I'm talking about specifically is, and what we talk about a lot today, is how to like get on the phone with a motivated seller and get them to want to sell you their property. Like what what is that? What does that look like? And so he goes through like in depth, like. This is what we say. This is how we, the, the mistakes that people make. This is how you keep them on the phone. This is how you get them to commit on the phone call to, to actually selling. A lot of really good stuff today. So you're going to love that. Uh, we also go into like hiring, how to build your team, partnerships. In fact, in the hiring section, make sure you listen for his like three, I guess like qualifying questions he asks every person when they're hiring them. Really, really good stuff. Anyway, how to build rapport, set expectations, all this stuff. Plus, just his story is really, really powerful. You're going to love this. Like, well, he got in and had a lot of setbacks in the beginning uh, and then kind of rediscovered real estate later on. So all of that and more today, you're going to hear that. But first, let's get to today's quick, quick tip. All right, today's quick tip is brought to you by David Green, which means I didn't think of one. So, David, what do you got? How did I know that this was coming? Well, lucky for you, I actually did think of a quick tip. We mentioned in the podcast today that it's action that gets people results, just straightforward. The people that have a motor, what we called it, are the ones that tend to be successful. And one of the things that stops people is waiting till they get in the right situation before they actually develop their motor. There's all kinds of reasons why we don't want to, to push forward. We don't like feeling stupid. We don't like rejection. We're unsure what to do. Today's quick tip is look for where you are right now in your life, whatever it is, and ask yourself how you can develop your motor where you are. If you have a job that you don't love, where can you give more and do better? Can you start going to the gym more? If you already go to the gym, can you work out harder? If you're reading books, can you focus more when you're reading or can you read more of them? Whatever you're doing, what habits can you develop right now to do it better so that when your opportunity does come, you're prepared for it? And you got me thinking. I'm going to think about that later. You can start by being a better friend to me. I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> I don't think it's humanly possible to be a better friend. You're probably right about that. You've reached the pinnacle <laughs> of friendship, I got to say. You're an awesome <laughs> mm, friend. I know. I, I won an award or two for it. It was, it, was, it was a good award ceremony. 
We know, and you all know, why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers proof of income verification. RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability. With Plaid certified tenant income and assets reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. All tenant screening and verification is paid by the tenant and done through the desktop and mobile app. It's time to say goodbye to gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with RentReady. And as a matter of fact, all Bigger Pockets pros have RentReady included in your pro membership. If you're not a pro, RentReady is offering you 50% off of their annual plan. New customers visit rentready.com and use code BP2024. That's R E N T R E D I.com using code BP2024. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, in the year 2024 to save 50% off of one year of RentReady. You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct-to-investor alternative asset manager, you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with credit-worthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, Fundrise has completed more than $500 million worth of private credit deals with an average net interest of 10.8%, and they've already amassed a pipeline worth more than $300 million. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can take advantage of this unique window of opportunity while it lasts with Fundrise's new private credit strategy. Ready to start? Go to Fundrise.com pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. And BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. All right, with that said, let's get into this interview with Steve Trang. I think you guys are going to love this. All right, Steve, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast, man. Good to have you here. Thank you for having me. This is such an incredible honor. Well, thanks, man. This is uh you're one of those guys that I see your videos all the time on Instagram and on YouTube stuff. You're you're everywhere. Uh, and I've always thought, man, we should get that guy on the podcast. So, I'm I'm pumped to do this today. So, why don't we uh why don't we start with uh 
We'll go back to the beginning. How did you even get into the idea of real estate? You know, I think like a lot of other investors, uh, I read uh, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I said, man, wait, there's another way to develop wealth versus working a nine to five until I'm 55, 60 years old. And so I read the book with my best friends. We started an LLC, started investing together. That was a disaster because we started in 2006 and 2007 happened. And along the way though, uh, I kind of lost track. I like to call it like the lost years because as I was learning about real estate on the investor side, I learned about the traditional real estate side being a realtor. It's like, wait, you guys make how much money? What do you guys do? And I said, oh, I, I, you just got to talk to people. I can do that. And so I left a really well-paying engineering job to become a realtor. And I did that for nine years and in process, you know, being lost found my focus again when I started accidentally buying houses uh, as a realtor. The average person listening to this show right now, let's say they are working a job. Maybe they don't love their job. That's why they're trying to do real estate. They're trying to get into rentals or flip houses or whatever. Do you, not do you, but what kind of person would you advise to do kind of what you did? Like jump into the real estate agent game as a way to make income until you can get into the investing side? Or do you think that's a bad idea? I think it depends on the person, you know, I, I, because we talk to people, right? They're saying, you know, I want to start buying rentals. And I, and I ask them, like, tell me what you do. And they tell me what, about their job. And they might not like their job, but they're getting paid really well. And I see some of these guys, they'll jump from their job into real estate, whether traditional realtor or, or wholesaler, to buy rentals. You don't need to do those things to buy rentals. You could do those things because you want to be your own boss, right? And I was more or less unemployable, right? And so... It made sense for me to transition to be self-employed before I started buying rental properties. But you can jump into buying rental properties and supplement your income until your passive income succeeds, uh, exceeds your active income and then quit your job, right? Like just because your job is soul crushing doesn't mean that you have to quit it. You don't have to. What kind of person makes a good agent? Like you, you own a brokerage, right? I own a brokerage. Yep. We have almost 100 agents. Okay. So yeah, you've seen a lot of agents come and go. And David, I'm going to fire this at you as well. But like... What personality trait or type or what kind of person should pursue the agent thing? Like who's like, oh yeah, that guy's going to be awesome because he does this. Or that lady is going to be a killer agent because she's this way. The most common myth is an extrovert, right? Extroverts don't necessarily succeed in sales. That's one that I hear all the time. And it's like, no, that's not how that works. They're just, they're just great marketing billboards for themselves. That's what an extrovert is. So the best people to jump into are, are people that will take consistent action. Uh, the ones that will go out there and actually do the work that's necessary because you know, believe it or not, real estate's not rocket science. You know what you need to do. You just need to do it every single day. And so anyone that is willing to do the work and, and fail forward, that's all. That's the only ingredient you need, I believe, to, see, to succeed in real estate. That's really good. David, what do you think? Anything you want to add on that? Yeah, Steve's answer was really good, Steve. That was awesome. I can tell Steve's the kind of guy that, just from talking to him right now, that does a lot of different things and does them all well. I think, Steve, you probably are one of those guys that just like they throw you in a situation and you figure it out faster than everyone else. And I would imagine you spend a good chunk of time like, why is everyone else having a hard time with this? <laughs> right. I, I know. I, I could just tell. I would say that this is such a good question you're asking, Brandon, because our listeners often they know they love real estate and they're trying to figure out, like, where am I going to fit in in this whole thing? And so I boil it down to four reasons. One, if you love real estate, don't become an agent. Um, because you want to be an investor. Steve was dead on. They're different skill sets. They're different end goals. You're building a different bridge, 100%. But 
Steve's comment that you should stick with your job if you're making good money is absolutely true. Being an agent is just a different job. You're just you're just exchanging one mean of time for another. So if you can make more money selling houses and you really want to do it, that's one reason. If you don't make good money in your job would be the second reason. Like if you're just you're a truck driver or something and you're just you're capped at what you can do and you wish you could do more. Being an agent, there's no ceiling on you. Steve's exactly right. If you take infinite action, you'll get infinite benefit. Or if you can embrace the fact you're a salesperson, you don't have to be an extrovert, but you do have to understand that you are a salesperson. You will be overcoming objections. You will be dealing with people's fears. Like you're not a transaction manager. Like a lot of people think that are just, Oh, just, I just want the pay. What paperwork do I need to fill out? And I'll do it. That's not what you're getting paid for. And then that's what I thought it was when I got into it. Yes. Yeah. I wanted it to be that. I was mad when I got there and realized that's not how it worked. And I actually had to listen to people and figure them out. And then I, the last thing I'd say is if you come across as trustworthy, if you're a kind of person that people just do not trust, you've, you've either lived your life in an unsullied way, or there's something else about you that people don't trust your word. You're going to be banging your head against a brick wall. When you're selling someone's house, it's obviously a huge risk that they're taking trusting you. And when you're helping someone buy a house, it's the same thing. So you do need to have a personality that other people would feel comfortable talking to you. Like you can tell Steve, just talking to him right now. I'm like, yep, this guy knows his stuff. He, he opened his mouth about 10 words and I could tell he knows a lot. So, but I would also say, Steve, is it fair to say you're probably not a huge extrovert? I'm not an extrovert. No, I'm an introvert naturally. You know, uh, if we were to look at, you know, uh, on a uh, football field, I'm about a 35, 40 yard line on, on the, on the introvert side. So I'm not completely closed off, but I'm not out there talking to people. Brandon, where would you say you are on that football field? Yeah, probably about the same. Where would you say I am? I don't know. I think you're more introverted than people think you are. I oh uh, yeah, for sure. I thought you were going to say like I never even made it out of the end zone or something. Yeah, like that. <laughs> <laughs> because you're you're you you talk well and you're a good agent, so I think people would assume you're naturally like out there and you're extroverted. But nah, nah. All right, Steve. I want to go back to your story a little bit. You said oh six oh seven was. You said I think the words you used was disaster. What happened and why? When you first start in, right, everything's always going to work out well. That's, that's that's the entrepreneur thought process. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to crush it. Then I'm going to do this. I'm going to crush that. Right. It's just everything's going to work out well. In reality, you know, we had the whole a recession, you know, the big recession. And this is me with my irrational confidence, which is a strength and a weakness, is that I'll figure it out and I'm going to succeed no matter what. But I didn't. I racked up massive credit card debt, almost lost my house to foreclosure. The D word was thrown around a lot during the marriage, right? At that time, you know, we're still happily married, but it was thrown around. So the the crisis set a lot of people back, but we lost one property to foreclosure, one property we did a short sale on, which we would have waited just a few more months. It wouldn't have been because that's when the market did this and we had no idea that was coming. But yeah, the I, w- I would say the biggest thing was jumping into real estate as a realtor and expecting to just, you know, crush it. You know, that's the mindset and being humbled. That was a, that was a very humbling time. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, I know that it, it is tempting to just as an entrepreneur to think things are always going to be good and they're always going to be great. Do you mind if I jump in here before we move on with his story, Steve, I just want to know if we can dive a little deeper into how you, cause a lot of people out there listening to this are like, that's me. I got that PTSD from what happened before. Can you share how it affected your psyche? Like what emotions you experienced that you think might be different than someone like me that stepped in in 2009 and I just rode an elevator all the way up? I would say it definitely tested, you know, the fortitude. And again, you know, my whole life, I've always had irrational confidence. My friends have always joked about it. I was the guy that would walk into the hottest girl in the club and just, you know, start talking, even though I'm an introvert, right? I got no fear, right? 
but it definitely tested self-confidence, what you knew about yourself. And when I left Intel, they tried to keep me. And when I, when I was like, you know, it's not gonna work, I'm leaving. They said, well, the door is always open. So in 2009, I actually went back. And they're like, yeah, that door was open, but we have no opportunities to hire right now. So, uh, th and at that point, I'm really grateful for that because that's when the bridge was finally burned. You know, like the whole time was operating. It's like, you know, there's an opening. I can always go back. But in 2009, when they said, hey, we'd love to have you back. We would all love to have you back. We can't have you back, right? The company is flat out not hiring. And so that was really helpful for me. So it, it tested my, you know, my resolve. And then when I went back and get got that rejection from Intel, I'm actually grateful for that because that made me dig even deeper to, to make this happen, to, to succeed in real estate. And that's back when I finally got my REO accounts, you know, listing properties for like Wells Fargo, uh, Fannie Mae, Chase Bank, and, and, and those other accounts. Okay. So you, you worked the agent thing for a while and then you said you rediscovered investing. So how did, how did that happen? Like, what'd you find? I was being creative, right? I was learning direct response marketing and I was thinking, okay, I need listings, right? The, the bank foreclosures, the banks aren't handing out any more listings. I need listings. And so I went back to what I knew, which was direct response marketing when Google pay-per-click. So I learned it, I taught it, taught myself it. So I started advertising to get sellers. Uh, and at this time I had the, your home sold guaranteed or we'll buy it. And what happened was I would go to these people's appointments and they're like, well, we want you to buy my house. Like, no, you don't want me to buy your house. Like, look, here's the thing. If I list it, here's how much you're going to walk away with. If we do a cash offer, here's what you're going to walk away with. And the, you know, I got a couple listings and then the guy's like, yeah, no, I want the cash offer. Like, no, you, you don't. Let me explain it again. <laughs> and so I took a cash offer. So I bought that house. I contracted, went to my car, got a contract, bought the house, called my wife on the way home, said, hey, uh, honey, we just bought a house. And then I called my dad and said, hey, dad, do you have money? Because we just bought a house. So that was the first time. Got a couple more listings, you know, with the, with pay-per-click marketing of buy my house, sell my house fast, whatever. And then we bought another house. And then I said, okay, there's something here. You know, I've heard of wholesaling. I thought it was a fad. But people genuinely are willing to sell their house at a steep discount if you can close fast. And so we bought a couple as flips. And then it kept working and we ran out of money. And that's when I actually had to actively wholesale. All right, so explain, explain for those who don't know, what is wholesaling? Uh, and like, why is, it, why is it a good idea and why is it a sometimes bad idea? I'll go throw both at you. Wholesaling is it's just arbitrage, right? You're, you're no different than when you're going to, as, a, as Best Buy to buy a refrigerator directly from GE and then selling on retail. The, I guess the difference is you would sell it to somebody before the end retail buyer bought it. But all you're doing is arbitraging. It's no different than insurance or you're buying a used car and then flipping that used car to another person on Craigslist. You're just selling the rights to a contract for wholesaling. So you're buying from a seller and you're selling to either a buy and hold investor or a flipper and you're pocketing the difference. You're never closing on it. You're never on title. You're just selling the rights to a contract. In a lot of ways, it's very similar to acting like a listing agent, but it's different because you're not selling the house, you're selling the rights to a contract. So that's wholesaling. The great things about it is you can generate a lot of active income in a relatively short period of time. The bad things about it is you better know what you're doing because you're putting people's faith in you. Uh, one of the things that we see, unfortunately, from time to time on the wholesaling side is people contracting properties and they're not able to perform on it. And you got this homeowner that's been relying, hoping, possibly praying that you're going to come through. 
and you let them down. So that's the downside. And you know, there's a lot of grief. You know that uh, people are. You know, I'm saying I've been putting this message out more, and they're not liking it. But I look at it no different than um, the listing agent that's willing to take an overpriced listing. You know, that guy that says like your house is worth 300, but yeah, I'll, I'll list it for 350. And you're instilling all this false hope in somebody instead of telling them the truth and give them the reality that they need at that time. So the downside of wholesaling is there 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 are some some bad actors, uh, not that many, but there's enough, and it causes problems for the, the the guys that are trying to do a good job out there. Wholesalers get kind of a bad name, and maybe it's deserved sometimes. Is there's a lot of wholesalers that are just super, I don't know, unscrupulous, if that's the word, or, or they're just super new and fresh. They don't know what they're doing. They just go put random properties under contract that, that they then can't. Yeah, it just it just gives it a bad name. Well, let's clarify real quickly what we're talking about. What we're referring to is when you say, hey, I will buy your house on these terms, and your intention is to go assign that contract to somebody else. In the event that you cannot find someone else to assign it to, there's usually something written in there that gives you an out, a contingency that allows you to back out of the contract. And because you're not acting in the capacity of a fiduciary when you're wholesaling, you don't have to actually spell that out for the person who's signing it, the homeowner. You can just throw it in there and they sign it, and that's completely legal. But they often trust you as if you're an agent, and maybe they know that you could be an agent. And that's what a lot of wholesalers will do is they'll say, I will buy your house. They will go to offload it. They can't find anyone. Oops, sorry, I didn't do it. And this whole person's life is now screwed. They may have been planning on moving. They maybe stopped paying some of their bills because they thought they were leaving, and now they can't. And I really like that you're calling attention to that, Steve, because that's the type of behavior that gives real estate investors in general a bad name. Most people are good operators, but man, those bad ones, they make it to the front page of newspapers. Yeah, very much so. Plus, just just for everyone's like knowledge out there, there are some states that are much more anti-wholesaling than other states. So make sure you guys know the laws of your state, what's allowed there. You know, you can learn a lot of that just by you know googling or or spend some time in the bigger pockets forums. You'll find that again, some states are and there and there's ways to do it in those states. There's ways not to do it. There's illegal ways to do it. Uh, so wholesaling is yeah, it's it's a super fascinating way to make money. And I've I mean, there's been some wholesalers we've had on the show who are bringing in hundreds of thousands a month in wholesale fees. It's just insane, right? But they the key is then they are just really good at finding properties. Like they're really good at finding great deals. And the better deal you find, the bigger fee you can then extract. Uh, and so, what were you doing to find deals then? Was it just the pay per click stuff with Google? What were you doing in and then how did that kind of evolve? So at that time, I was doing strictly pay-per-click, and that worked really well. I, I got into it really early. There was not that much competition. You know, in Phoenix, it was really Sean Terry was our major competition, and he's a big deal, right? And so I did that, and that worked really well until the iBuyers kind of started, you know, puffing their chest. And that kind of screwed up a lot of my opportunities as uh, on pay-per-click side. Uh, so now recently, what we've been doing more is uh, direct mail. Uh, we've been doing more TV, advertising on TV. Uh, so right now, those are our, our top two sources, uh, which is very different than just a year and a half ago when it was predominantly cold calling and texting. It's funny how it changes. Like I, I talked to somebody recently who told me, yeah, you know, we were doing direct mail marketing and, and radio and we just it, it's dried up. Now we're doing cold calling and texting. And it's working really well. It's funny right. how different areas tend to like move in these different patterns where it gets oversaturated in one area and then it moves to then moves to another. So I guess the lesson there is just like, test a lot of stuff, figure out what's working in your market and 
Test and surround yourself with really successful people. So, all right. So, I want to talk TV commercial. That's cool. I mean, let's. What, what's that? Um, are you the guy in the TV thing, or do you? No, no, I'm not. So, uh, so we were in Albuquerque. We just pulled out, and then right now we're on uh, in Phoenix. We're on Tele- uh, Telemundo and Univision. Okay. And so my business partner Max Jimenez, you know, he runs our whole wholesaling company, and he's the he's the face because on Spanish radio, Max looks a lot more like our targeted audience than I do. And so, uh, so yeah, Max is on the show and on on the commercial, and he's exciting. He's awesome, and uh, he's really I'm incredibly blessed to have him as a business partner. He's the one that makes the whole operation run because I'm not heavily involved in the wholesaling side. Uh, Max is responsible for it, and he just knocks it out of the park. But he's the face. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's something I've always toyed with doing uh, the TV commercials, or maybe start with radio. I don't know. I think that radio would be fun. Steve, what is it about your partner that you feel makes him knock it out of the park? Uh, he's a grinder. You know, he's, um, he's got it, you know, Dan Sullivan, I believe he was on your show. Yeah. Uh, he talks about, you know, people you want to hire, uh, people you want to hire are the ones that come with batteries included, right? They're just going, they've got a motor. They don't need to be pulled along. Like the most people, the people that are, are exhausting the work with are the ones you got to pull along. Max is going to keep pushing forward and he's going to make me uncomfortable with how much we're pushing forward. And that's who I want, right? Let's make a mess. And we'll figure it out. And so that's max and he's always pushing forward and um that's that's why i know he's successful and that goes back to that comment i made earlier about a successful realtor someone that's going to fail forward is going to always just moving in the right direction it could be in the wrong direction but you can correct to the right direction as long as you're moving so i want to get your opinion on this steve what, one thing that i've told agents when they work with me and this doesn't just apply to agents this is anytime somebody wants to work with somebody else like hey can i join your wholesaling business i want to i'll intern for you what you're looking for is that motor and what I've said is that if you're if you've got a motor that wants to go really fast, I can keep you on the track. I will teach you how to handle that car. This is how you handle the different things that come up. This is how you drive. I won't let you crash. But I don't want to get behind that car and push it because you're afraid to go or you don't want to go. Is that a similar feeling to how you get Exactly. And that that is the one single I think strong, strongest determining factor in in success. Is the one that's going to move forward and the one that's going to be chilling and on the sidelines. Or waiting for somebody else to make them want to, to take action or make them mm-hmm. want to do something. Brandon and I talk a lot about how important momentum is in life. And what we'll tell people is you need to start going somewhere because you can change direction once you have momentum much easier than waiting until you know exactly where you want to go to get started. So I'm glad to hear that that's been a similar experience for you. If I, if I could bring back what you said earlier, too, about you know why what kind of agent becomes successful it's that agent right that that it's like not rocket science real estate investing is not real estate agent stuff is not owning a five guys i mean a burger place is not like not like business is is fairly simple in most in most cases it is it's, it's more about are you doing those things you know you need to do and so here's a question i just throw at everybody listening is like are you doing, if you're like listening right now going, oh yeah, that's me. That's, that's definitely me. I, I always, you know, I'm, I'm that guy. If I was in real estate or if I had a bunch of rentals or if I was an agent, I definitely do everything I said I'm going to do. I would just ask the question, like, are you doing it in all areas of your life? Like the little areas of your life? Like, are you, are you getting up when you set that alarm or are you hitting the snooze button 12 times? Like, are you doing your dishes after you eat, after you eat dinner? Or do you let them pile them up for a, a week at a time? Like when you, when you tell your kids, you're going to go play with them later. Do you go play with them later? So it's like, Either you are or aren't a person who just does this stuff repeatedly. And a lot of times when people, if I, I'm sure there's people right now listening going, oh man, like I have not, I have not proven myself as somebody who does that. But the good news is we can change at any point, right? Like you, you can just make that decision. Absolutely. I am, yeah. I am now somebody who does what they say they're going to do, even in the little things. Yeah. Cool, man. 
We know, and you all know, why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers proof of income verification. RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability. With Plaid certified tenant income and assets reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. All tenant screening and verification is paid by the tenant and done through the desktop and mobile app. It's time to say goodbye to gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. And as a matter of fact, all Bigger Pockets pros have Rent Ready included in your pro membership. If you're not a pro, Rent Ready is offering you 50% off of their annual plan. New customers visit rentready.com and use code BP2024. That's R E N T R E D I.com using code BP2024. That's VP, like Bigger Pockets, in the year 2024 to save 50% off of one year of Rent Ready. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. As home prices and interest rates continue to rise and inventory levels dip, it's getting harder to find quality flips and wholesale deals. When there's not enough on-market inventory to go around, it's time to start looking off-market. Lucky for you, there are millions of homeowners nationwide who own a property they need to get off their hands. I got two words for you, my friend. Prop stream it. PropStream is the leading real estate data provider and recognized as a Tech 100 honoree by Housing Wire for the fourth consecutive year. With PropStream, you can search over 155 million properties nationwide using 120 plus search filters like pre-foreclosure, bankruptcy, pre-probate, failed listings, and more to help you find motivated sellers in seconds. PropStream offers both public record data and an MLS sales estimate that's over 99% accurate to help you get the most accurate comps even in non-disclosure states. PropStream also provides lead automation, skip tracing, and a marketing suite with emails, postcards, and custom landing pages to close more deals efficiently. Get started today with their seven-day free trial and get 50 leads for free. Head on over to www.propstream.com BP. That's www.propstream.com BP. All right, well, let's go back to your story. So what happened next? So I know now today, kind of bring us up to where you're at today, maybe. I know today you do a lot of sales training. You teach a lot of people how to do this stuff. But what's kind of your overall like business life look like today? I'll start with life because that's my favorite part. Um, right. So I got three beautiful girls. Uh, they challenge and test me every single day, but I love them to pieces. How old? And I got an amazing wife. Uh, three, eight, no, four, eight, and nine. She just had her birthday a couple weeks ago. Four, eight, and nine. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I love them to pieces. Uh, I got a wife who is 
every bit as committed, you know, as I am. So I could not be more grateful than that because I know that's some challenge that some entrepreneurs have is a wife that's not as supportive. So I'm incredibly blessed to have that. And for me, my goal is to work less than 45 hours a week. You know, with all the businesses I run, my intent is to work less than 45 hours per week. And so as far as the businesses go, you know, I got the brokerage, I got, uh, I own a title company, I got a podcast, I got sales training, we got the wholesaling company, and I'm sure there's something else out there as well. Oh, we have our app, you know, for creating an off-market MLS. But yeah, I just, I got all these different uh, companies. And the coolest thing is that in all these different companies I've got is that there's someone in charge that's making a function at a high level. That's not dependent on me because uh, the one joke, it's a bad joke, right? But I say like, if we're, if we're waiting on Steve, then it's just not going to get done. So let's. <laughs> <laughs> I say the exact same thing about my life. Yeah. So. So you, you basically are, I see you then as like, to use terminology from like traction or EOS, like you're the visionary. It sounds like Absolutely. you're, you're casting the vision. This is where we're headed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've got integrators that are set up to run each of these things. Yeah. We got integrators for each, uh, each company. Yeah, exactly how I'm trying to do this as well. That's, that's awesome. What have you found has been working with that? And where have you struggled with that over the last few years as you've built this kind of empire? Uh, what's worked really well is just having regular meetings and everyone hates meetings meetings suck right but for me having a regular meeting that i'm committed to and that's one of the hardest things as an entrepreneur because most entrepreneurs are drivers and they don't want to sit down for a meeting it's like dude like i don't have time for it figure it out let me know what happens and reality the meetings the reason why we're able to have so much success is because we have so many meetings they got to be efficient meetings they can't be time wasters i'm in, i'm terribly impatient if it's a time wasting uh meeting so I, I think that's the most important thing and then the most challenging thing is you got to remember you know we're all people uh, we're imperfect. We're, we've got we've got emotions. You know, we've got things happening at home. Life happens, right? So that's the most challenging thing. But that's just reality. So you can't do anything about that. Advice for people that are dealing with the entrepreneur or the driver, like you're saying, that often don't understand if if they rely on you, it's never going to get done. Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling you're looking for people around you to step up and say, I'll take this off his plate because it would be easier. And maybe you give them the training and the resources and the ability to do it. Give them all the resources. There you go. This is what's odd is people like you are saying, look, I have this bounty, this cornucopia of resources to give to you. And you're looking for someone who's like, I need this stuff so I can go put it into place. And so many of these people are waiting for someone to tell them you have permission to go do something. You have permission to go. Have you noticed a similar, like just a miss in your business? There were a lot of hires that I made that were the wrong hires. And unfortunately being a business owner, again, that optimism, right? I just think everyone's going to be awesome at their job. Like this person's going to change my business. Right. And unfortunately you're wrong way more than you're right on that category. But you know, that's just part of the, the, the experience of, of having an, uh, having a business, you know, you got people that interview really good and they just blow it. And you got other people like, I don't know, but let's give this guy a shot and they crush it. Right. And so all you can really do is, you know, we, we, we filter the best we can, we interview the best we can. And at the end you'll find out once you put, was it the, once the, the rubber hits the road, that's that at the end of the day, that's the ultimate test. That's when you'll find out what you've got. So what about advice for those people that want to work for someone like you that don't quite understand what it takes to be successful, but they know they want to? Yeah. So we get people that DM me all the time. Uh, they're like, Hey, I'll work for you. I'll even work for you for free. And I don't, I don't want free interns. Right. So anyone that says I want to work for wants to work for me, I encourage them to DM whoever they want to work for. Uh, but anyone that DMs me, I just send them to my integrator and say, all right, here's a potential candidate. Go interview them. See if they have what we're looking for. 
And what we're looking for isn't necessarily like if if it doesn't fit for us, we're not saying you're a bad person. It just doesn't fit in our business model because there's a bunch of different ways, a uh, bunch of different models, much diff- different business owners. There's no right business uh, model. But if someone doesn't fit in our culture, it's because it wasn't a good fit with us. You know, Michael Gerber from the E-Myth talks a lot about like you're building a machine, like a, a business of the machine, right? And there's a, this cog moves into this cog and this lever moves this device here, right? And so a great run business is run that is just a very well-oiled machine. And so what I never really thought about before, and it's like this kind of picture that like uh, the piece in the machine, like you can't take a six wheel cog and put in a seven wheel cog or seven cog wheel, right? Like I don't, I don't, I don't know machines, but it just wouldn't, it would not work. The entire machine would fail if you don't have the perfectly right part in there. Which, so what you're saying is that yeah, it's not that you're a bad person or even that you're anything, anything whatsoever negative. Just our machine has a spot that we need a six peg cog thing whatever like it has to be that piece there and so yeah i really like that way of kind of thinking and so as we're trying to build these machines these you know and i mean that even if somebody's trying to build their very first get their very first duplex under contract whatever like in the beginning like it's a machine you're building like who's the agent who's the lender all these things a property manager have to work with each other in the right way so just kind of think that like it's not you you it's not good to have have a. It's not good enough to have a mostly good employee or a mostly good partner. My agent's pretty good. He's all right, right? Because that cog just is gonna muck up your entire engine. Yeah, you're gonna get frustrated. No, you gotta be in love with them. It's uh, what we learned from uh, from Darren Hardy is if it's not a hell yeah, it's a hell no. Yeah, it's so important. So, what have you found works for hiring? Like, where what kind of uh, I guess tricks do you have, or is it just you just run a lot of people through the funnel and try to find that person? Like, what what's your kind of secret to hiring? Uh, one of the things that we use is uh, is job form, right? And it's super basic, it's like ten bucks a month. Uh, but we, we, what we have in there is we look back one day and we said, okay, what are the things that frustrate us? And it's the ones that don't understand the value of coming to the office every day, that seems to think that trainings and meetings are optional, and don't seem to understand that prospecting is a muscle that you require <laughs> to be successful in this business. So what we've actually updated in our job form was this uh, these three drag downs, which which says. I understand I need to be in the office five days a week. I understand that all meetings and trainings are mandatory. And I understand that it's required for me to prospect three hours per day. And if you don't hit yes on all three, then we don't, even, we don't even interview you. Now, let's say you hit yes on all three. Then we send you to a predictive index, which is kind of like a disk profile test. And from there, we'll kind of see you know what, what, what your drivers are, you know whether you're a dominant person, social, whatever, uh, process-oriented, We'll figure that out and then we'll look at the overall picture and see okay is this person that is worth bringing in and then if, we're, if they're worth bringing in we'll screen them right and we have 10 simple questions for screening and then uh, for the interview we run the who model which was written by jeff smart so we use that model for for interviewing and then the last thing we do is before we'll make them an offer is we do field testing hit the phones i don't care how good you sound in the interview let's see how good you sound on the phones and at that point, we'll make an offer. Yeah, that field testing is so, so important. Because, yeah, like you said earlier, people can interview well. And then they're just a complete, you know, like horrible employee to work with. <laughs> so I love that you, first of all, you like you, you do that, like answer these three questions. Are you going to be, I bet you a lot of people go to fill out your, their application or they're applying for you. And they immediately just go, ah, no, not the right culture fit for me. Not the right company right. fit. So you just like I get half of them away right there. Well, because you get uh, hundreds of resumes in your email. And what do you do with that? 
we had a job position we opened, I don't know, this is a year ago now. We had 700 people apply for it. But in there, it was like, we said something like, just reply re- reply with an email with the subject line this, and then do, like, it was like a simple thing, right? And like 600 of them didn't do that. And like, so just, it's just a lesson to everybody out there. If you're trying to get a position, like working for a real estate investor or any job whatsoever, I mean, like, the bar is fairly low for just getting in the, like the first round of like interviews because like most people can't even do the simplest thing. They're just like, oh, job opening, fire off a quick resume. They don't even read the, the job descriptions. It's amazing. Well, what's brilliant is you're forcing people to get on the same page with you with that, with expectations before you even start. There's no investment made. And that's, if I'm being honest with myself, like literally every single relationship that has ever gone sour in any way could be boiled down to missed expectations. It is so mm-hmm. easy to do it. It's so hard to get it right. But that's what everything lands on. And, and you learn this when you're in real estate because you're dealing with people that own homes that don't understand all the things that go into it. And where every mistake is made is they had an expectation that you didn't meet or you had an expectation that they didn't meet. So just getting that out of the way up front, this is what you're agreeing to do that solves that problem. And many people that that would have been a problem for them because they weren't going to meet your expectations will actually change their own mind and say, oh, well, that's what it's going to do. And they walk in the door with the right mindset because you set that path for them. Would you mind sharing what those three things are again? I understand that I need to be in the office five days a week. Um, I understand that prospect. Uh, I need to prospect three hours a day. And I understand that meetings and trainings are mandatory. And I've had some people ask, like, is that, can you do that? You know, they're 1099. And the important thing is we're not saying you have to be in this seat at this time. Yeah. We're just saying you need to be in the office. Makes sense. Let's talk about what these people are doing. They're prospecting. What does that mean to prospect? What do you, what do you mean by that? So they're cold calling. Uh, they're, they're cold calling the same list that everyone else is cold calling in the Phoenix market. Yeah. And they're calling distressed homeowners, seeing if they're interested in selling. And then there's also some follow-up there as well, but it's, it's predominantly prospecting. And this is what you now, I know you, you, have, you have a book out there on, on sales and you do a lot of sales training. So I thought maybe we'd spend a few times just, I mean, as long as we got you, let's pick your brain yeah. on, oh, what, are you, what are you teaching people? I'm like, what, what, let's start at the beginning. If I want to start cold calling, I want to start prospecting. Mm-hmm. What do I do? Like I'm brand new, never done this before. What do I do? So the first thing you got to do is you got to take, get rid of everything you've ever learned about cold calling. And so one of the things that you guys hear this, you guys get, you know, these calls from these people, right? Has your mom ever called you and asked, is Mr. Turner there? (laughs) No. Okay. One of the things, what happens we got to do is we got to get out of this is so-and-so there. And so what we do is I just call you like, like we're friends. Hey, Brandon. And you're going to pause. Uh, And Tony Robbins calls this a pattern interrupt. And what's going to happen is you're like, oh, this person knows who I am. I better pay attention. And the experience we're looking for is... I just want you to imagine the last time you were at the supermarket or at the mall and someone walked up to you with a big, bright face, like, hey, Brandon, how you doing? In your mind, you're like, it happened yesterday. This? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was at church. This lady's like, oh, hi, how are you? And I was like, I'm good. And she's like, Brandon. Uh, yeah, she knew my name. And I, I have never talked to that lady. I don't know who she is. It was and the weirdest thing. And that's the experience yeah. we're looking for on a cold call. <laughs> yep. So I was like, hey, Brandon. And you're like, oh, I better pay attention. And then I'm going to call and say, and then I'm going to continue the conversation. Hey, Brandon. Uh, well, you know, my name is Steve Trang. I'm a real estate investor. I probably caught you at a bad time. And the reason why is because every real estate training or sales training is like, you know, is now a good time or is now mm-hmm. a bad time. That's the general sales training, which it works. But those are yes, no questions you generally get hung up on. So I say, uh, probably caught you at a bad time. And you're going to say, well, well, I don't know. Like, what's, what's this about? And then I'm going to start my, my pitch. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to start the conversation. But 
what I've done is I've bought some time to have more conversations versus, hi, is this Mr. Turner? My name is Steve. Have you thought about selling your home? I mean, it's a click either on that first question or the second question. I just want to get past those two checkpoints and then we can have a real conversation. What are the mistakes that most newbies kind of make? I mean, it's really like they they just ask the questions like that. I mean, like, do you see other things that are very common? They ask those questions. How are you doing today? Is now a good time? Oh, I hate. Yeah, I hate. How are you doing today? (laughs) Yeah, right. Like, do you really care? Because if it's a yes then they can't wait to tell you how awesome their day has been. You know, I got to do my yoga. I got to, hit to run my errands, this and that, which is not conducive to, to, to income. Or if it's a bad time, like, where do you go from here? Like, you know, my grandmother passed away. I'm still recovering. Like, how, where do you go from that conversation? So the point is we don't ask how you're doing today. We just ask them, you know, you got your home, 123 Main Street. You know, I don't suppose you've ever thought about selling it. I said, well, you know, maybe. And then once we hear that possibility, then we'll have that conversation. I was like, no, I'm not really interested in selling it. It's like, okay, great. Didn't think, didn't think so. And then we just kind of move on. I've noticed a couple of times here, you've phrased it in kind of a negative way. Is that on purpose where you're saying like, absolutely. oh, probably got you in a bad time. You don't want to sell, do you? Like, Yeah, absolutely. Because I would imagine all of us here and most people listening hate being told there's something that we can't do. Like the best way to motivate me is tell me I can't do it and I will go prove you wrong. And so we always tell them, you know, probably caught you at a bad time, probably not interested in selling. Well, that will be a conversation starter versus are you interested in selling your home? No. Click. It feels good to say no, especially to a cold caller. So it if, does. If, if the no is actually gets you what you want, that's genius. That's right. Really and good. it protects your ego because yeah. your feelings aren't hurt. They didn't reject yeah. you. That's really good. Uh, it's similar when I, when I'm, when I would look for partners back in the day, like when I was like, I guess I kind of still do it today too. The line I would always use is like, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, for a, whatever i'm trying to buy this duplex i'm looking for somebody who can bring the down payment and i would say you don't know anybody who would be interested in that do you like and it was it was a way and it's not quite a negative but what i was doing i was i was making it so that they could easily say well actually i might be interested right i took it off of a direct asking of them to a kind of a side i was asking if they knew anybody and it got their mind and every time they'd answer well i might be interested and it worked really really well like that so I think that's a big component to people that are trying to get started and they're not sure what to do. It feels so awkward when you just fumble your way through there. And then once you figure out a semi-natural way to do it, it goes from being horribly awkward to not that bad. And for the new people, their thing is going to be that awkward every time. They're like, I'm going to make a hundred phone calls that are this painful, but it doesn't. You, you slowly figure it out. You start picking up these little things that Steve said, like, well, if I say it this way, I make it easy to slam the door in my face. If I say it this way, I buy myself another couple minutes. I noticed the few times that I did it, I would rush through the initial intro. Hey, this is David Green with Keller Williams. Like nobody wants to hear that. And I would slow down right when I got to the point of, Hey, we just listed a house right across the street from you over there on, on Spruce. And now there's somewhat like, Oh yeah, I know that street. What's, what's going on. What's the house for? And once I figured that out, those calls became much less painful. I just pushed through the fast, the, the awkward part. And you start learning how to build that rapport. So would you mind sharing a couple other like pieces of advice for what you do psychologically to increase your conversion, but make it less, like you said, the rejection isn't as bad. Yeah. So like Brandon mentioned earlier, is that, is that takeaway? We're negative. We're telling them how they can't help us. You know, so, you know, probably got you a bad time, probably not interested in selling that property. I think the biggest thing is that awkwardness that you just pointed out and Awkwardness is one of those things that it's it's a muscle. It's a you got to develop that callus because it's awkward as heck the way we talk. <laughs> it's not a natural talking style. But what happens is when you make those awkward statements, like you're probably not 
you know, I'm looking to get this property funded. You probably don't know anyone that's interested in, in, in investing in this. And then they can't wait to jump in. The other thing I would say is you got the best exercise for this in, in, in trying to get some to use awkward silence to get someone to communicate their thoughts more. Is just think about the last time you had a conversation and someone was saying something and you knew the word but was coming. You just knew it. You were just waiting for it. Instead of saying but, say the word and. And when, when you say and, they will keep talking and they'll finish their stream of thought. Uh, so and is one I use a lot. Uh, because is one I use a lot. They'll say something and I'll say because and they'll just keep talking. They'll finish their thought. Um, and then the ones that my, my partner, Max, he uses all the time, uh, so much that he almost got thrown out of his car by his wife, is which means. You know, they'll say something, which means, and then they'll continue that thought and, and give you more information. And uh, when we're in sales, it's a game of, of intelligence, right? Not, not how smart you are, but how much intelligence you gain from the other side. And so we deliberately do not talk very much. And by not talking very much, it forces the other person to talk. But if they're talking, guess what? They feel heard, they feel listened to, they feel appreciated. And if you can deal with a prospect who feels heard, listened, and appreciated, are they gonna do business with you? Versus the sales guy that's gonna talk over them, talk over and talk over them, waiting to get the word and waiting for someone to finish a statement so they can jump in and interject. Which means? <laughs> was that was that was that like the right the that way was that you exactly it? it right all right i really like that a lot yeah which means or and that's that's good yeah if you keep people talking it's gonna be a lot better so what do you do if they say no i mean like no i don't want i don't want to sell or no i haven't thought about selling do you just okay thanks yeah i didn't think so and you probably don't have any other rental properties or pieces of land you've thought about selling no nope. mm. got it and you don't uh, know anyone that's possibly thinking about the selling property nope great have a great day do you have a follow-up after that now nah, we just move on. Yeah, there's no interest there. But your ego didn't get smashed because if you say, would you sell your property to me? No. Oh, he doesn't You get a little me. deflated. Do you have another property you might sell to me? No. Uh-huh. And you're just like digging deep to try to put yourself out there. I, I like the way you said that. Uh, one of the ways that I'll do that is when I'm, when I'm saying, hey, I'm looking for a person who would be good at uh, doing something that I want to hire someone for. Right? Do you know anyone that would be a great loan officer that would be wanting to make around $300,000 a year and do this and that? And they're thinking, I would want that. But that's so much better than if I say, do you want it? They're like, no, I like my job. Yep, hit them from the side. Yeah. Yeah, and the other piece was that you're capitalizing on momentum in the conversation. Mm-hmm. So you get, you, you're slowly building that up. You're getting a couple easy answers, and then they answer, and then you say, and that means. And it just keeps that momentum going as opposed to what we said earlier, trying to start from scratch with a new conversation every time. That's very smooth. I see how you picked up all those girls at the club, Steve. You're giving us your secrets. <laughs> I know. I was an engineer back in those days. You probably don't know anybody who'd want to buy you a drink, do you? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You don't know anyone who'd want a drink from me, right? Yeah. Do you know anyone who might want a free drink right now and a really good conversation? <laughs> That's funny. All right. So what what other, what other tips do you have for people? Obviously, you, you've written tons of stuff on this. You've got a book on it. You've got training. But... Uh, what other things can help people if they're just they're afraid to cold call, but they know that they need to get that first deal? What should they do? An exercise that we've done in our training program is, and uh, you know, you guys have bear with me. I'm going to kind of explain it versus doing it, you know, on a spreadsheet. But if you just think about any time you get, whether it's it's an assignment fee or a commission or a, a deal, whatever, there's a there's a value associated with it. So you know, just take for uh, for example, in in uh, wholesaling, you know, fifteen thousand dollars is a pretty common assignment fee. 
And so we celebrate the yes. Like we get a yes, we get a contract, we're excited, right? So every closing is about 15,000, but we also know that you don't close every single deal. So really we know it takes about two contracts to cash check. So then we know really we gotta get two contracts to get that fee. And then we do the math, say, okay, well, if we wanna get two contracts, how many appointments do we need? Well, we need about six appointments. Okay, so we know we need six appointments. Okay, to get six appointments, how many conversations do we need to have? Okay, maybe 60. All right, well, to have 60 conversations, how many cold calls do we need to have? About 600, okay? But what do we know now? When we do the math, it works out. It's about $2.50 per cold call, per dial. You're making $2.50 per dial. And let's just say we're we're fluffing a little bit, the number's a little off. Let's just say it's a dollar per dial. Could you slam out 60 dials per hour? That's a six-figure job. If you could slam out 60 dials per hour, that's a six-figure job. Right. So that's the mindset you got to go in. So people are always, you know, like I hate rejection, hate rejection. And and they celebrate the yeses in our team. We celebrate rejection. So if you, whoever gets the most rejections in the week gets a free lunch of their choice. Oh, no way. I love that. Because now we know whoever gets the most rejections is going to get the most contracts. But instead of focusing on contracts, we're focusing on rejections. That's so good. What we're doing is you're taking it from a results-oriented goal into a process-oriented goal, right? So rather than I'm going to lose 20 pounds, it's I'm going to eat 2,000 calories a day or I'm going to work out five days a week. That's genius. I love it. And I love how, yeah, it, it takes a lot of the emotion, the sadness of, oh, I've been working at this for a while and haven't gotten anything yet this week. Uh, well, did you make your calls? Like you can kind of reverse engineer success in a lot of ways uh, i like Absolutely. to say like, like success shouldn't be a surprise you should never be yeah. like wow i got four deals this week well yeah because <laughs> i did four times more deal and calls than i did last week mm-hmm. it's uh we, we teach at bigger pockets all the time about the laps funnel right laps you got to get leads that come in you got to analyze them you got to pursue them so make an offer and at the bottom s success you're going to get success on some of them and so if you want to like you want more deals just open up the faucet a little more, get more leads, analyze more, make up more offers or pursue more. If you want exactly. less, then do less. It's, it's not rocket science, but to go back to what you said at the beginning, like this isn't rocket science. It's just, it's just knowing what you got to do and then actually doing it. Mm-hmm. Wow. So good. Uh, a couple more questions on, on this topic. First of all, where, where do you recommend people get like, who should they be calling? Where do you get this list from? So there's the stress homeowner. So there's a few different places. Uh, you can go pull the best data is directly from the County. All right, it's kind of hard right now with COVID, but the, the best data is going to be from the county. And then you got PropStream, which is a big company, uh, Bash Leads, uh, that's who we use. And then uh, after you get the list, and it doesn't really matter what list. I know that everyone's talking about like, this list, that list, what's the best list. At the end of the day, it's the activity that generates the income, right? And so, uh, but if you're gonna if you're gonna uh, skip trace it, you know we have our own uh, skip tracing partnership with SkipFast.com. So we can skip trace that data uh, and then you call it. And once you're calling it, then we use the scripts we just talked about. But as far as the the list, best is from the county directly, whether it's probate, divorce, whatever, pre-foreclosure. But if you're going to pull it, if you're going to pull it from a service provider, there's PropStream and there's Batch Leads. One of my guys out here in Maui has been cold calling lately, uh, one of my team members. And he's finding that he told me that most of his calls just get... Uh, they just ring forever. Like the number, like it's almost like they're not a real number. Like they don't go to a voicemail. They just ring and ring, ring, or they're just like a dead number. Like where you get, do you find a lot of that? Do you have a way of screening out all the crap numbers first? So you're only getting people who like you're legitimately talking to them. So when we get the numbers, I think it depends on the, uh, on the, the data provider. And I think data is so important. You know, uh, if you're spending money or resources getting the list, uh, we see some people, they try to skip trace with a cheaper uh, price 
product, which I understand because I was I was at that point too, right? At one point. So I, I get that. The other thing, the other mistake I see sometimes, which is, doesn't answer your question, I apologize, is they'll hire VAs, you know, from the Philippines because they, they can hire these guys at three, four dollars an hour, which I understand as well. But what happens is you spent this time and energy to get distressed homeowners, and then you might cheap out on the rest of the process. Yep. And it doesn't matter if you've got this beautiful Ferrari if you're putting eighty-seven in the gas <laughs> in the gas tank. Right. And so I think that's something that I don't know what skip tracing provider you use, you know, maybe look at that. Um, or it could just be maybe no one answers the phone in that region. Maybe they're tired of getting cold call. I mean, that's happens. That happens too. Yeah, it's very possible. I'm not even sure where he got the list from. He's not doing it for me. He's doing it for himself. Uh, he's, he's one of my, uh, yeah, he's awesome, but he's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's interesting. What I, what I talked to him about doing, I was like, well, maybe you can hire somebody. I think he, I think he actually did this, hired a VA not to talk to anybody because like he knew he needed to talk to them. They have to understand Maui, but just like at least call the list down, like get through, like if it goes to a busy signal or there's just, it's a, you know, this number is no longer connected. Fine. Like get those out. If you want to pay somebody $2 an hour for that, but don't let the VA talk to them. Like it's just, it's a good way to kill that quickly. And I, I mean, I, when I'm called from a virtual assistant, that doesn't understand, like they can't pronounce my street name. Like then I'm like, okay, I'm not going to like, it just immediately turns me off from that. Cause I know they lost all rapport. Yeah. lost everything. So yeah, really good. All right. La la last question on this thing. Scripts. How much do you recommend like an investor who's trying to get into cold calling or an agent or whoever's doing the cold calling? Should they have a very well-written script that they're kind of reading or how much is it improvisation uh, goes into that? So I think a script is a great backbone, but I don't think you should rely on it forever. Uh, a lot of what we teach is really the psychology and the process. You know, like the first few things we need to have again, right? Is like, hey, Brandon, and probably caught you at a bad time. Don't suppose you thought about selling that property. Like that's really the the, the, the framework the rest of it is just learning the psychology of sales and you can have a, a conversation. The The problem with a lot of scripts is you got to hit these, uh, the, you got to say these words, which works, but true sales or true report, report building is taking what you just said and responding to what you just said and having a conversation based off the words you just said versus off a script and the script can't possibly know what Brandon just said. My husband just passed away. That's great. Do you have any interest in selling? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where do you go from there? So you can have a framework, you can have a, 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 a process on the script, but you've got to understand the, the psychology uh, of sales to a certain degree to have a quality conversation. That's so good. I, I think what I'm getting out of, like one of the main things I'm, I'm getting out of this interview is how sales is so like it's a skill i guess is what i'm trying to say it's a skill that you can develop you can learn you can take courses on it you can read books on it like it's not like oh i'm just not a good salesperson i'm not good on the phone i'm not a good cold caller it's like i mean do you think pretty much anybody like can anybody be good at this if they if they apply themselves i wholeheartedly wholeheartedly believe i can take anybody if they have the desire i can take anybody and train them to be a good salesperson because what we've done is we've basically engineered sales and sales for most of my career, most of my life has been an art form, right? That guy just has it. It's charisma, right? But now that we've learned, there's actually a science behind it. There is things you do to develop rapport, to develop trust, to move the conversation the way you, the direction you want it to go. And then uh, David mentioned earlier, setting expectations. That's one of the things that most people get wrong. Like the most common objection most investors get is I need to think about it. And if you get any to think about it, it's because you didn't set the proper expectations. 
in the beginning of the appointment, which was, by the end of our time together, it's going to be a yes or a no. We teach it how to say it politely and professionally. But really, what we're saying is it's going to be a yes or a no, and you're not going to think about it. And if you're telling me in the first 10 minutes that you don't have the ability to say yes or no, I'm out of here. Because I'm not going to spend an hour and a half here for you to tell me you need to think about it. Steve, do you mind if I use you as a uh, sounding board for one of the, the some of the content I'm putting into the next book I'm writing for Bigger yeah, please. Pockets? It's for real estate agents. And I've got this method that, that we sort of teach. I'm curious if it's the same as yours. That's basically three points. The first point is you have to um, isolate or identify a pain point in the person you're talking to. The second is you have to draw a path for them to walk. Like they need a direction that they need to know where to go. And then the third is at a certain point, you have to make it very clear where the destination is. So they don't think that they're walking this road forever, or they wonder if they're on the same road. So when we're having conversations, we'll usually try to figure out, sounds like what you're doing. Is there a pain point with this house? Is it, do you have a lot of repairs that are needed? Are you getting drowned by the mortgage? Whatever the case is. That, and that's basically what we call negative reinforcement in psychology. It's negative reinforcement. It's not giving someone something bad to reinforce them. It's the removal of adverse stimuli, which is like the most powerful motivator that we know of in, in human condition. And most people are in pain, but they often are in denial about it. So I, you're never hurting somebody, but you are peeling back the layers of protection they've used to expose it. Now they're in pain and they have to be given a place to go or they'll just bounce around like they're crazy and, and go nuts. So we draw a path. Okay. This is how we could help you out of it. We do this with buyers. This is what the home buying process look like with, with sellers. And then in the end we say, I'm going to take your hand. Let's go walk on this journey. Is that more or less very similar to what you guys find yourself doing? I think there's a lot to it. Absolutely. Right. Or it's going to be, we can figure out whether this, the solution we provide will help you with your current situation. I think that the, the biggest thing, one of the things that we harp on a lot on the pain side is to take it from a, a, a conversation where it's intellectual and we're talking about numbers and facts and figures and this and that to an actually emotional thing. So I want you to just think about, right. If you're dealing with someone in pre-foreclosure, you know, back in 2007, 2006, that was a big deal. Like you, you couldn't face foreclosure. Like that was a bad thing. You'd be, you know, you kind of be a little ashamed today. Foreclosure is like, yeah, I'm in foreclosure. What's, what's the problem? Right. And so for us, what we're trying to do is we got to remind them all the different things that are happening with the foreclosure. Right. We're going to say, you know, what's causing it? Uh, is it, you know, they might say like the hours are cut back. What have they done about it? Have they asked their mom for help? Are they trying to get other jobs? Is it affecting their credit card, credit situation? Are they racking up credit card debt? Is it affecting things at home? Is it affecting the wife? How about your car? You know, where are you going after this? Like what happens if you can't solve this problem? So we're going from this foreclosure that's not that big deal. It's like, holy crap, things are really bad and I need help. And what you just mentioned right there, like, let me hold your hand. Let me show you how we fix this. That's the next step. But before we get to that next step, we do spend more time than they might, they may want in the pain step. But that goes back to when you go through this process, someone trusts you. They believe in you because you've understood them at their core versus, uh, you know, a, 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 uh, eviction notice or a name on a pre-foreclosure list. You've actually had a real conversation with them. So good, man. Really good. Well, before we get out of here, a couple uh, quick other related questions. Uh, rental properties. You doing any of that stuff right now? What's your What's your rental property philosophy like right now? So we have a couple. Uh, we're trying to buy more because uh, I, when I went to go pay my taxes in 2020, for 20, <laughs> in 2020 for 2019, that was a gut punch. 
because that was a rental property by itself. And 2020, <laughs> yeah. I, re- I realized it too late. So 2021, I got the same problem for 2020. And so, uh, but I could tell you, you know, our philosophy, we own two rental properties free and clear, you know, and that's been great for us. And I know it goes against the, the grain from every book, every trainer, every educator out there. But, you know, I mentioned earlier in the beginning, my wife and I, we had conversations about the D word, right? Like, I mean, things are bad. And so we have PTSD from that recession, you know, and what did I see when I was as a realtor helping people buy properties? What did I see? People buying properties cash. You know, I still remember as an agent getting a proof of funds from Blackstone for $86 million, you know, which is a crazy number, right? But, you know, all these, I was watching all these wealthy people buy properties cash. And I said, okay, if this is how wealthy people do it, this is how I'm going to do it. So we bought these properties. We didn't buy them cash, but we paid them down. But now that I've gone through the whole tax thing and paying way more taxes than I ever thought humanly possible, we are now shifting our strategy to acquiring more rental properties that we're not going to pay off. Because I know that was kind of my last question is where do you see the next few years of your life headed? Uh, more wholesaling, more rentals, multifamily. Where do you, where do you see yourself going in the next five years? You know, uh, I always looked at real, uh, real estate as a vehicle. You know, I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. Uh, real estate was just a vehicle. And so for me, uh, I've put it out there. And, you know, this is the biggest stage I'm going to say here. But I'm gunning for Grant Cardone. I want to be the top sales trainer in the country. I want when people think like, hey, I need to get my salespeople better. It's like, well, have you checked out Steve Trang's program? That's the goal. So five years from now, that's the vision. And again, it's kind of bold, but I'm an entrepreneur. We're going to dream big. I love it, man. All right, well, before we get out of here, let's head over to the last segment of the show. It's time for our Famous Four. These are the same four questions we ask every guest every week. Every guest. That was a weird accent. Every guest every week. (laughs) And uh, we're going to throw them at you right now, Steve. So let's just get to number one. A favorite or either all-time favorite or maybe a current favorite real estate-related book. You know what's really relevant right now is, is Shift by Gary Keller. You know, he talks about increasing market share when markets go up and when markets go down. So uh, I would say, you know, I've always loved Millionaire Real Estate Agent because he basically took real estate and, and combined it with EMF. But I would say right now, probably Shift is the one that's probably the most appropriate. Great recommendation. I don't know that we've heard it before, but they write really good books over there at Keller Williams Publishing. Not quite bigger pockets quality. Oh, you know, but no, no, not, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. What about your favorite business book? Favorite business book, man, right now, I would say, I haven't read it twice yet, but The Road Less Stupid, man. <laughs> I don't know. That, That's a but... good name for a book. <laughs> oh, yeah, that. by Keith Cunningham. That book, I mean, because, you know, what was it Warren Buffett, rule number one, don't lose money? Yeah. Right? And so this book is all about, like, how to be less stupid uh, and stop making careless mistakes that set you back. Because if we just only counted the, the months that we had positive months and we made a lot of money and we could just delete all our bad months and all our bad decisions, how much wealth would we have right now? And so the book is talks about how to make fewer dumb decisions. I think it calls it the dumb tax, how to avoid the dumb tax. All right. I just bought it while you were saying that just bought it on Amazon. So can I have it in here? My house in like six days. Cause thank you, Steve, for making my best friend a little less stupid. Once he reads that book, <laughs> it's my pleasure <laughs> working at it, working at it. All right. When you're not in the process of becoming the world's top sales trainer, what are some of your hobbies? Right now, uh, so it was Kung Fu until COVID. So right now, I'm spending a lot of time at home with the family. And I enjoy it. I, I, I really enjoy it. So like, you know, every Sunday, we go right around the bike around the neighborhood. It's been a little cold for it. But 
we do it and the kids are getting good enough now where i'm thinking maybe it's time we go go on a trail and i'm not an outdoors person i hate the outdoors i love electricity i love the internet right but it's good time with the family all right where are you located by the way i don't think i even asked you that uh so we're in the phoenix market i live in chandler arizona southeast suburb it's a good place uh all right well final question for me what do you think separates successful real estate investors from all those who give up fail or just never get started I think it goes back to what we said earlier, consistent action, consistent activity. And this is not just true of real estate investors. I think it's everybody. We all know what we need to do. And if you couldn't, the great thing is there's a forums, bigger pockets. <laughs> there's a place for it. So there's nowhere, there's no excuse to not know what to do. So we all know what we need to do. It's just the, the, your, your success is directly proportional to amount of activity you, 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 you apply in the right direction. I hope everybody listens very close because Steve runs a whole bunch of different businesses and he's seen what makes it what makes it successful in several different arenas. And it looks like it's the same secret sauce no matter what you're doing it in. Yeah, there's no magic pill. They're always trying to sell us those magic pills, but there are no magic pills. <laughs> All right. Last question of the day. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah. So the best way is we do have a podcast. It's Real Estate Disruptors. Um, and then we on Instagram at Steve.Trang. And then lastly, you know, Disruptors.com, D-I-S-R-U-P-T-O-R-S.com is where you can find where we, uh, there's different, all sorts of different ways to work with us because I believe in all things real estate. There's no shortage of ways. Thanks, man. Really appreciate having you here today. It's been uh, phenomenal. And uh, I can't wait to show this with all my, uh, my team who does the cold calling stuff. Very cool. And I'm happy. You want me to talk to them? Ooh, I like this. I might take you up on that. <laughs> awesome, man. All right. Well, thanks. David, you want to get us out of here? Thank you, Steve. This is David Green for Brandon, the road less stupid Turner, signing off. <laughs> You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the BiggerPockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.